Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello everyone, a very warm welcome to the Monday edition of The Call Live from our Barangaroo Studios. 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to two experts, uh, all in one out, Monday the 4th of April. And uh, great to have you aboard because it's always incredibly informative and a lot of fun. Our uh, expert team today, Howard Coleman from Team Invest and Mark Gardner from Macro Capital. Um, Mark, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? Good weekend. And yeah. the market's kicked off in a pretty solid, yeah, yeah. No, you'd be, solid be, clip today. Be very happy to be owning lithium stocks at the moment, that's for sure. So yeah. uh, I think that's sort of the sector that's uh, showing the hottest today. Um, yeah. Town up about 10%. Now comes up about another 6 wow. And PLS up another 5 So Why? Uh, look, I, I think there was that, there's obviously that structural shortage of lithium, but I think what's uh, due to the Ukraine-Russia um, right. situation. But... Um, I think uh, with you know with the US basically now saying that the battery minerals and materials um, are in the in the national interest or a st- um, yep, strategic, strategic yep. reserves. So um, like little things like Iron Ear, which um, you know had an had an issue with the with the EPA. Um, now that seems to be something that's in the past because that's one of the advantages mm. of that is to actually be able to skirt the environmental laws as well. Right, um, right. So look, that, that you know that's going well. Materials sector going well, and obviously you know the the um, with those sort of the the horrible things that the Ukrainian troops are finding outside of Kiev as well. The, the, there's obvious you know I think the general sentiment is that these sanctions might last a hell of a lot longer. Right. Overall, um, and, you know, using words like war crimes, etc. So the um, you know that bid tone to to that part of the market. There's a there's a lot of stuff out there still fairly cheap that's been forgotten, particularly the healthcare sector and things like that. And yeah some of the retailers. So look, there's still, we're only 1% or so now from record highs, just about, which is pretty amazing considering we were where we were a month ago. It is amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a real uh, dichotomy in the market as well. It's I, sort of BHP has been driving a lot of the index. Absolutely. And as you say, there are some bargains in some sectors that have been left behind. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. look, it, okay. um, yeah, I've sort of been mainly from the sell side <coughs> of, of late because we were pretty heavy on those materials through the Ukraine um, yep. situation. So, so now now I've got now I've got to find a got to find another place to invest it now. So, <laughs> so well, always good to have cash on there. Mm. Uh, wonder if you'll be investing in any of these stocks that we're going to cover in the first half hour of the call. Uh, Zero, Helios, Brickworks, Suncorp, and Woolworths. <coughs> Excuse me. So, uh, good, diverse uh, bunch of stocks here with some good questions from viewers as well. I always kick off with the stock of the day, um, and uh, thought we'd have a look at a couple of stocks. Perpetual has lobbed a near two and a half billion dollar takeover offer for Pendle Group. Uh, the six dollar twentieth three a share deal uh, would see Pendle shareholders own around forty eight percent of the merged entity. Perpetual trading has been paused this morning. 
Pendle is soaring though, up more than 20% after the announcement. So what does the team think? We're still trying to connect with Howard at the moment. So uh, uh, Mark, what do you think of, um, of Pendle and Perpetual on this takeover? Look, um, I think it's pretty opportunistic by Perpetual. Um, you know, Pendle had been beaten down a hell of a lot further than Perpetual has. I think Perpetual's only down about seven percent um, in the recent, you know, in recent time. Whereas Pendle's down sort of more around the seventeen percent. You can that's reflected in the um, obviously the PE ratios. Uh, Perpetual's around about the sector average uh, of seventeen, uh, whereas uh, Pendle's sort of eight. Uh, right. Their dividend yield's quite a lot higher as well. Um, so, you know, there'll, there'll be some cost savings there, probably more so from a back office point of view and admin. Um, I dare say they'd, they'd still, you know, given that funds management's still very relationship-based um, in, in, you know, in a lot of situations, um, they'll probably have to keep those sort of front office staff. But Perpetual has been buying up a few fund managers of late. Right. Um, they bought a, a firm in the US recently, which, which the name eludes me at the moment. but. Um, but yeah, look, the, the sector as a whole, not obviously, you know, the, things like Magellan, etc. It's been a case of catching the falling knife quite often um, yeah. in, in this sector lately. Um, it's not a sector I generally favour, but from perpetual standpoint, you know, I think it, you know, it's probably a fairly good purchase. I think it brings the funds under management mm. to 200 billion, uh, gives them wow. a lot of economies of scale. Value investing, which perpetual are fairly famous for, are, um, is you know, is probably going to be the uh, the theme of the next couple of years with rising interest rates. So you know, I guess I'm boarding some more fun, um, or mm. a hell of a lot more fun by the looks of things. Um, isn't probably the worst move uh, okay. when, when something's discounted like this. So from Perpetual's point of view, not a bad move at all. Um, it's still trading 20% below the um, below the takeover price though, I noticed. Right. Um, the 623, it's only, even though it's up 20% today, I think the, the takeover bid's 40% higher. Right. So right. It, um, it's a fairly, uh, you know, it's a fairly lofty bid. So, yeah. so um, what do you think? Uh, would you be interested in either Perpetual or Pendle at this stage? Uh, look, um, I think I had uh, Pendle on the call last time I was on, um, yeah. and I was, I was a bit of a no then. Yeah. It's more, more so the industry so much, but if you... If you're this sort of investor that um, you know that likes to buy these managed fund companies, um, perpetual, like I said, the, the okay. market conditions should suit them over the next sort of 12 to 24 months at least. Right. And uh, yeah, so yeah, look, it, it um, and it will you know it will bring in so some. So if, if you're scale. in both, do you hang in there and see how it comes? I, out? Well, look, I think so. I think I think it will probably help both companies overall, right. just in terms of an economies of scale thing. Right. Um, and you obviously you're going to get some, you know, you, you're getting a much better price in your pendle than you right. were on Friday at four dollars fifty or whatever it was. So it, um, I'd probably yeah, just a hold for now. Okay. So would you? Would you get out of Pendle at these? Well, it's still trading at a discount to the right. to the takeover price. So if you if you're happy yeah, to hold on. both, you would definitely okay. hang on for the takeover price. Uh, we're connected with How, Howard Coleman now. Howard, uh, welcome. Good to see you. What did you um, think well, of the perpetual takeover of Pendle, and, and what do you think of both companies? Well, it certainly looks better for perpetual um, than it does for Pendle, or at least for Pendle shareholders. Um, when you look at it, uh, Pendle's on a much lower PE, even if you take into account the funds outflow recently, uh, than Perpetual. So Perpetual, it will be automatically earnings per share accretive. But um, 
you know, uh, the problem with the industry at the moment is the time to buy into fund managers is when the market's low. When the market's high, uh, and it's reasonably high at the moment, it's not a good time to buy into fund managers because their earnings probably can't go that much higher. And Pendle's earnings for the past year, their year ends in uh, September, so uh, it's a little bit out of date, but they had a fair bit of funds outflow after the end of the financial year. So um, the PE that we're looking at is probably uh, inflated by earnings that won't be repeated because they got performance fees that they probably won't get again. Plus with funds outflow, their funds under management is lower. So in terms of would I own either of the two of them, uh, neither of them uh, right now. Uh, this is not, in my view, the time to buy into fund managers. But um, uh, Pendle has passed our filters in Team Invest a number of times over the years, pretty consistently, whereas Perpetual hasn't. Um, they both got reasonable return on equity and no debt, um, but their earnings aren't really growing much at all. So I'm not enthusiastic about either of them. Okay. All right. Let's get into the stocks that our viewers have sent in. And uh, Howard, Jason wants a view on Zero, the uh, small business accounting platform. Yes, well, um, the good thing about it is at least it's been starting to make a profit more recently. Uh, it had many, many years without making a profit. Um, but even now, the profits are fairly anemic and um, the return on equity is incredibly low. So um, from a point of view of one of the most important indicators, is a company going to be a wealth winner, is doesn't have high return on equity achieved with low debt. It doesn't have high return on equity. Its debt's reasonably high, so it strikes out on both of those. And while earnings per share growing, they're not going to grow very fast unless they can improve their, their return on equity. So um, no, uh, Team Invest members wouldn't look twice at this. Okay. Uh, Mark? Uh, look, I think Zero has adopted a lot of uh, price hikes, so they were a sort of benefactor of... Um in, in many ways, uh, during the pandemic, uh, and obviously small and medium-sized businesses getting their act together and yep. their accountancy, etc. They've done a UK and US adoption, um, which I think the market expected to be a lot slower, particularly in the US, um, which is which seems to have gone well. Um, I think your question was whether you know, obviously it's traded um, around that sort of you know, 150, 100, yep. you know, $160 mark. So whether it's, to, it's value now compared to that high, I, I, I think that's probably not necessarily asking the right question. I think it's probably, um, you know, more so, perhaps shouldn't have been up there in the first place. Um, but, you know, we had NASDAQ rallying, you know, nearly doubling in a couple of years. So obviously tech stocks were all the thing. But yep. obviously having a high debt, um, High debt's not going to be great going forward either. But look, this business has a lot of potential. It's the second biggest in the world, I think. Um, software, as I said, they're starting to raise their prices, so their margins might start to increase a little bit. Um, and look, it, it's not, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a buy right here, right now. I think tech's going to be a fairly unloved sector for you know at least an, another quarter or two to come. Um, right. And as you can see, that we've had a bounce back in the ASX to being only 1% from record highs, but the NASDAQ's now absolutely nowhere near it. So, and I would expect that probably to continue for the next, um, you know, for the next sort of three to six months minimum. So, look, I, I think in the long term, companies like this, say Ordinate, Hub24, that have, um, 
you know, really strong market share that have a really good quality product and an ability to, um, to increase their margins over time. It'd be something I'd be dollar averaging in a small, like right. in small amounts over the next sort of, you know, over the next six months, looking for the next sort of upturn. Um, but, uh, but yeah, look, I, if you've got it, you're probably holding it. And then I think within, you know, maybe start of the, start of the new financial year, you'd be looking to dollar average potentially. Okay. Um, and maybe, get, well, potentially maybe after they have another reporting or an earnings report, right. um, just to see how those, mar- if those margins have, have actually So hold through. it, but no new money at the no moment. No new money at the moment, okay. no. I just think it, the, the sector itself is, lends itself to, um, you know, to being a little bit weak at the moment. Okay. So. All right, Mia wants a view on the health sector, um, uh, Mark. Uh, wants a view on Helios. Uh, three main operations, a healthcare company, of course. Um, pathology, medical centres and imaging. Um, Helios also has an emerging business in dental, IVF and day hospitals as well. What do you think of Helios? 13,000 staff. Yeah, no, it's the old primary primary healthcare. Yeah, so... Look, it's been one. Um, look, we've got a really high macro score on this. Um, it's one of the highest we've got, so uh, about nine point four. Obviously, the, we're basing that pretty much on the. You know, everyone knows the revenue is going to drop um, based on the, the the lack of testing scores. Uh, sorry, the, the lack of testing that's going to go on. Ah. Um, we figure that's fairly priced in. Um, we do think that the with the reopening, particularly, I think the Victorian government on the weekend announced. Um, Huge subsidies to get to, to do uh, catch up on elective surgeries. Um, right. Even they're even talking about running, you know, twenty four hours in some places. Um, IVF, obviously, that's a market that's getting increasingly um, larger as well. So, I like the prospects. Its PE ratios in, uh, compared to the sector is, you know, eleven versus sector average of about thirty six. So, mm. they pay a dividend yield. Um, I think uh, they've been sold off. They're back around. Um, Back around this four dollar mark, or yeah, four forty. Um, I think they I think the healthcare sector generally is fairly unloved at the moment. Fisher and Paykel Health recently been battered. Um, yep. CSL, I think that that acquisition is going to be incredibly good for them. I, and they're not they're non cyclical, so we're you know if, if inflation worries continue um, and rate rises, we have rate rises, etc. You probably want to be you know you probably want to be in those non cyclical um, companies that are a little bit cheaper. So. Oh yeah, look, I, I'm happy to buy this um, right. as, as it stands. Look, they, they, next earnings report they may have, obviously that that downturn. There may be some, um, you know, the downturn happens faster than the pickup in the day surgeries, etc. Uh, but having said that, it, it may not either. It may, they may mm. actually balance each other out, and they may surprise the market to the upside. So. It, it seems very, fairly cheap to me, and it's a solid, you know, fairly okay. solid performing company. So, um, Howard, what do you think of Helios? Yeah, certainly they're far better companies in the health space than Helios. You know, it's had I, I can see ten years worth of history on my software, and never once in oh sorry yes one year in the ten it's scraped in by having a return on equity of more than ten percent. The other nine years, the average return on equity is less than five percent. Now, if a company's only returning 5% on its equity, that means for every dollar of your money in the company, um, you're getting less than 5 cents in total, uh, in growth and in dividends. Um, That is a long, long, long way away from what our members of Team Invest expect, which is 15 to 20% returns. So certainly not a company that we would get excited about. Yes, it's on a low PE at the moment, so 
maybe if you bought it and they had a good report, you may make a little bit of money in the short term. But we're long-term holders. We buy companies that are good businesses and that are going to, as businesses, make money for their shareholders for many years to come. And Helios certainly doesn't fit the bill for that. So you're saying there are way better healthcare companies in the sector. Oh, much which better. One, which ones stand out to you? Well, the most obvious it would be CSL, right. um, Fisher and Michael Healthcare, which Mark mentioned as well. Share price got battered uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, lots of members buying that now at the moment. So that's a company that's been okay. growing its okay. earnings on high return on equity. CSL's got a high return on equity. So in the long term, those are going to be, as they have been up till now, marvellous wealth winners, whereas Helios is never going to be a wealth winner with that kind of return on equity. Okay. All right. Um, Howard, Richard wants a view on Brickworks. Uh, Richard says, uh, put out half-yearly results, uh, which were in the face of global volatility positive. Whilst there's a commonly held view that Brickworks is a boring company that manufactures bricks, I think this view is misguided as the company has an amazing asset land bank that it holds. The expansion into US building products is gaining scale. Um, it has a shareholding in Sol Pats, which um, gives quality diversification, not diversification, as Howard puts it. He's quoting you, Howard. Uh, best he of all, is. the management have shown genuine care as custodians for shareholders of the money. Um, is Richard right? That's a pretty glowing yeah, I'd say, glowing I'd say he's largely right. Uh, you know, it's, it is seen by the market as a brick-making company. And while that's true, part of the business, um, it's making a huge amount of money out of using old sites that uh, were land, uh, that, that they made bricks at or got the clay out of, and turning them into um, uh, property uh, trust areas where they uh, build up uh, infrastructure for people like Amazon and so on for warehouses um, got a deal going with Goodman Group to do some more of them um, they're doing some on their own so there's a lot of money being made in this business that's not just from making bricks and certainly they do look after shareholder wealth you know both uh, Brickworks and Sol Patterson have for years and years and years consistently paid slightly increasing dividends every year more than inflation um, that it's growing by. So they're not exciting wealth winners. You know, they're more exciting wealth winners on the stock exchange. But certainly Brickworks uh, to have in your portfolio uh, is a great business in the long term uh, to be owning. And in terms of diversification, which is not my word originally, but Warren Buffett's word, um, what we mean by it is if you hold so many good stocks already, to decide to buy an extra one at that stage is diversification you'd be better off putting more money into the great businesses you already hold. Many investors hold far more companies than they can properly understand. And once you get the point to the point that you don't understand thoroughly every business that you're investing in, that's diversification. Mm. While, while it's a yeah. number you can cope with, it's, it's diversification. Um, how does Brickworks look at these levels? Would you be a buyer at these levels? Um, well, in actual fact, uh, both Brickworks and Sol Patterson, they're certainly not incredibly cheap at the moment, but they're both at quite reasonable levels. They're roughly in the middle of uh, their PE ratios. So um, considering most companies are up towards the top end of their PE ratios, uh, both of them are looking reasonable without looking super exciting. So 
you know, wait for a day where there's a bit of a pullback in the market or a couple of days where there's a couple of pullbacks. And if you can pick them up 5% lower than, than they currently are, you're probably going to be smiling mm. a lot. Okay, so I hold from you at the moment. Mark, what do you think of Brickworks? Uh, to Howard's point, um, 20, only $20 at the beginning of March, and now it's 24 bucks. It's had a well, pretty good run. Strangely, I was on with Mark Morlan from Team Invest, so um, we had Brickworks. So, yeah. um, And I think we both said it was a buy at that stage, which was about probably 7% lower, actually. So yeah. maybe even slightly more. Um, <laughs> I must admit, I did take your advice on that and it, um, bought some for my super fund because you... I think you said get out of James Hardy and yeah, get into Brickworks. Well, look, and they're just reli- they're very reliable. Um, I'm a, as I said, I'm, I'm sort of a little bit more from the sell side in the in the market generally right. at the moment. Just be, just because we've had a lot of things happen over the last you know over the last three months or year to date so far, and to be back towards those record highs, um, I don't think it hurts to be invested in something that's super reliable and and a yep. little bit boring. Um, yep. I think they're 60 odd percent now as their sole pets in their building, uh, maybe even more. So, um, and obviously construction materials going, you know, inflation going through the roof in that, in that particular part. Like if, yep. they're, you know, if they can keep their cost base down lower, obviously they probably might be able to increase their margin um, yep. as uh, on the brick side, but um, they're, they're becoming more of a, you know, a part REIT, part investment house yep. as well. So. Um, and they, you know, they are—they're good to their shareholders. They, you know, they good return on equity, etc. So, look, stand by. I, I think I'd probably agree with Howard there. I'd rather be buying them where we were buying them last week or the week before yeah. that. Um, yeah. But just because I think the market is just a touch toppy <clears> here at the moment, um, and they've reported already, so there's not going to be a lot to to happen until you're going to probably afford to have some patience. And at some stage, okay. there'll be a bit of a dip, but. Um, yeah, look. I, but I, if you're I, out, hold it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. I think a little bit of boring um, without <laughs> isn't isn't such a bad thing at the moment. So um, I agree. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not something I'd I'd, I'd I'd steer clear of. That's for sure. So okay. you're just trying to buy the dip. All right. Let's uh, turn from Brickworks to financials now and uh, SunCorp. Um, Cameron wants to be on SunCorp. Um, it's a bit of banking, bit of insurance. In there, Queensland-based, of course. Mark, what do you think of Suncorp? Uh, not to be disparaging, but a second-tier financial uh, group? Yeah, look, um, yield curves inverting are not going to be helpful uh, to these banking stocks. Obviously, right. their insurance part, considering their, their geographical location, is not going to be helpful either because right. of the floods recently. Um, I look, they're, they're certainly something I would, at this point, I'd, I'd pretty largely avoid um, because I don't, as much as people have been buying up the financials on the back of, you know, their increased margins, etc. I think that there's probably far more risk in the housing market pullback for the Australian banks versus the traditional um, yeah. financial uh, company, let's say US banks, etc. Um, and, and as I said, obviously the um, insurance part as well. Uh, that really does worry me, but, that, but that's broadly across the insurance sector as well. I don't think they're pricing the, um, the effect of global warming anywhere near well enough. We seem to be having six, one in a hundred year um, <laughs> floods or fires um, yep. on, a you know, every, on a fairly regular basis. So um, we've spoken about in the past, we've got John Lynn Group, um, who I think yep. maybe does a little bit of work with Suncorp, but fairly, fairly dominates the, the East Coast for repair work. Um, yep. 
if you were holding this, I'd, I'd probably be more inclined to add to say that uh, so John Linder hedge your position yeah. for the uh, for the for the insurance um, uh, work that's going to be going on on the in the entire East Coast. Yeah. Another half a meter of rain apparently coming to the East Coast this yeah. this, uh, week. this week. So. So yeah, look, it's not something that excites me mm. really at all. Um, a, lot, a lot of people, I'm assuming, will be hanging in there for dividend yield, but I, I'm, I'm pretty wary of dividend traps uh, overall. And um, mm. yeah, it's not, it, no, I'd not be for not for me at all, okay. no. Uh, Howard, uh, beyond Suncorp, and it's yeah, interesting, uh, Mark, Mark ha- almost ha- has a hedge uh, against insurance and financials with John Lynn, which is, a group you've been following for quite a while as well, which is the rectification builder for insurance companies. Yeah, they they repaired my house after I flew yeah. my car through the back of the garage and landed on my tennis court five <laughs> levels below, uh, which is fairly spectacular. I'm lucky to be alive. Um, and, and they were the builder who uh, came around and repaired our house, and they were marvellous to deal with. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're a good business to invest in, but they they, they do have high return on equity, low debt and growing earnings. So um, even from an investment point of view, they look good. Um, uh, Re Suncorp, um, you know, effectively it's a building society as most of our banks are. We don't really have banks in this country. They're largely building societies and um, an insurance company. And insurance, as Mark was pointing out, is not something we'd be particularly enthused about the way it's run in this country. Um, insurance companies in this country really make much of an underwriting profit. They just hope to make an investment profit and, and are all pricing the insurances generally to be as cheap as possible to get more business. It's not a great business model. Regarding the one in a hundred year floods, um, the amusing thing to somebody with a maths background like me is these one in a hundred come from um, using a normal distribution to look at something like the frequency of floods or cyclones or whatever, except um, we also know that a normal distribution is very convenient because it's mathematically simpler to use than a different type of distribution. But in actual fact, for uh, weather type events is completely wrong. It has fat tails. So what it means by fat tails is you have many more one in a hundred year events than once in a hundred. Um, you, you get to, uh, the, the things that would happen once every second year, they're about right. They happen about yeah. once every second year. But the things that should happen infrequently happen considerably more frequently than the number that's quoted. So a one in 20 year event happens more than once in 20 years. And a one in 100 event happens several times in 100 years, not only once. Yeah. Um, but putting that aside, if Suncorp are using that in their calculations, and I'm sure they're a bit smarter than that, um, they'd be burnt very regularly. But it's got lower return on equity than the other building societies in Australia. Um, its earnings are growing slower than the other building, or most of the other big building societies in Australia. So if you're going to own one of them, it wouldn't be the one you'd want to own, but none of them are likely to prove wealth winners. Okay. So it's a no from us. All right. Uh, Lisa wants to view Howard on Woolworths, the big supermarket chain that's become uh, a lot more true to label, if you like, after spinning off their hotels and and Dan Murphy's and the rest of the liquor stores into Endeavour Group. Um, So it's basically now a supermarket pure play, isn't it? 
It is. And, and from that point of view, we used the word boring earlier on. It certainly um, would fit with that. Now, boring is not necessarily bad, um, but it means that it, it, its earnings aren't going to excitingly go up or down at any stage. It's largely a supermarket group now dealing with all the basic essentials that everybody needs. One of the two main ones in this country, there are a couple of other smaller ones, Aldi, uh, Metcash, uh, IGA type ones. Um, but on that basis, you would expect growth in EPS to be a little faster in the next few years than it has been because they'll be beneficiaries of inflation. Because food inflation, let's assume our inflation rate reaches say 5%, which is probably lower than I think it will be, but far higher than Philip Lowe keeps telling us it will be. I think he lives in an academic rather than a real world. And assuming there is food inflation, Woolworth sales will go up in nominal terms. Their earnings per share will go up in nominal terms faster than they have been doing up till now. However, it's on quite a high PE. So it's all very well to say that it's probably going to have a good few next years, which I think it will, but it's on such a high PE that it's got to have really good next yep. few years to yep. make up for the incredibly high PE. So I actually own some shares in Woolworths. I wouldn't be selling them, but I certainly wouldn't be adding to them, and it's not a big part of my holdings overall, but I thought okay. I wouldn't mention okay. I own it. Okay. Mark? Yeah, I pretty much agree with Howard there. Um, if I was holding them, I'd probably keep holding them. If uh, I'd probably be selling or adding to them at this stage. Um, yep. The you know technicals look okay. The analyst rating consensus is around about pretty much where it is at the moment. Um, obviously, they've got a slightly better ESG score now with Endeavour out. Um, their you know food inflation, obviously with their um, the, the duopoly is going to have a. Um, you know, far superior competitive advantage in terms of supply chain. Uh, in terms of handling that inflation, um, they're a massive database of um, their customer habits uh, is also going to help them sort of navigate those waters as well. I think there'll be cost, uh, you know, the cost increases from all the cleaning, et cetera, that they've had to do through COVID and, and, uh, and all those sorts of things are, are going to decline as well. So, look, it's not... Um, it's not real it, in the consumer staples sort of sector. Really, I'd, I'd be more looking at the agricultural um, companies okay. rather uh, than Woolies at the moment. Um, just with the you know with the food shortage. Um, so I read something the other day: twelve percent of the world's calories consumed by humans come out of Russia and the Ukraine. So Jeez. it's which is an extraordinarily high number. Um, and I think Australian farmers, with the particularly with the weather, um, uh, with the weather benefits uh, that are, you know El Nino's keeps edging up to being sustained for a little bit longer as well. So I'd probably be approaching that sector from more so the producer's right. point of view rather than the sellers. Oh, but um, yep. but look, I, you know it's it's very <laughs> safe business. It's very steady as she goes, um, and they're you know because of their scale and their data, they're, they're the the least likely to be. Mm. It's taken by surprise by food inflation, etc. Um, so yeah, that. Uh, but yeah, probably just a hold for me for now. Okay. Yeah. Um, you're right. The, uh, it's horrible to say, but the uh, the war in Ukraine has focused all of us on what the hell did Russia and the Ukraine actually do? Um, the calories was one that I hadn't heard uh, when I was ready about last week. Is they produce a quarter of the world's wheat. Uh, yeah. Russia and Ukraine, and that's why 
wheat prices are at record highs and our farmers are doing... Well, vegetable oil as well. There's a lot of restaurants in France and Germany have just stopped doing uh, deep fried uh, dishes because they can't get their hands on vegetable oil. So... Yes, Howard? The the quarter of the world's uh, wheat is actually a quarter of the world's exported wheat. Mm. Um, The United States produces more wheat but it consumes nearly all of it locally. So it it can't supply the rest of the world. So it's a quarter of the world's exported wheat uh, comes from Ukraine and Russia. Which Africa relies a lot on for its diet and Mm. there's talk of issues there with possible famines and yeah, the ripple effect is enormous. Um, Let's recap the first uh, five stocks, stock of the day, perpetual and uh, uh, and Pendle because of the uh, the M and A activity there. Howard, a, a note for the sector. Mark, if if you're in both, hold on to them to see how it uh, plays out. Zero is a hold from Mark. A note from Howard. Helios, um, Mark likes at these levels and quite likes the healthcare sector. Um, so he has a buy on Helios. Uh, a no from Howard. Brickworks a hold from both. Um, if you can get a great company. Good one of those boring foundation stocks that uh, are good in in portfolios. If it comes back five or ten percent, then have a look at it. Uh, Suncorp and no from both. Mark has a um, a really interesting take on insurance companies like Suncorp by John Lind, which is the builder that works for insurance companies to um, uh, for all their insurance claims, does the work on their their customers' houses from floods and things like that. So. It could be in for a, a big six months and Woolworths a hold. Um, here on the call, we've, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio, our high conviction fund. Uh, there, Let's take a look at what is in it. Um, and <coughs> we have an equal allocation into BHP, Macquarie, Mim Resources, Steadfast, um, Aristocrat, Ordinate, CSL, Next DC, and Universal Stores, and a smaller amount in uh, Qantas and Digital Frontier Digital Ventures, 20% in cash. Uh, so far, <coughs> our fund is up 1% or 2% there, 2.03% on a cumulative return basis since the 1st of March. Uh, keep sending in your requests and keep the call switched on. Find out what went in and what went out at the fund from the uh, investment committee. Um, which will be the next episode of that goes live tomorrow. That's from 4.15 Eastern, only here on Ausbiz. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own under Underlying assets consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, our next half an hour, we're going to take a look at Cogstate, Boral, Centuria, Industrial REIT, Swoop, and the Reject Shop. Um, Howard, Brad wants a view on, on Cogstate. They appear to be growing strongly, good margins in a market segment which looks to have tailwinds. Now, they're, they're sort of a, a technology and and measurement services uh, business that does, among other things, clinical trials for the healthcare and research sector. So whenever we talk about all of these 
sort of new sort of medical um, ideas going to clinical trials, uh, Cogstate is one of the companies that actually handles those trials. Yeah, it's a little narrower than that. It's it's mainly trials to do with um, mental cognition, which is where the um, name Cogstate comes from. So I, being the age group that I am, I really hope they're successful. Yep. And I really <laughs> hope they help all these companies that are doing trials on cognitive uh, improvement, such that we get wonderful medications that mean as you age, you don't lose any of your mental faculties. Yep. So. Um, that would be wonderful. But in terms of an investment, um, you know, the, the, the viewer said that uh, they've got good margins. Well, their margins don't really look all that good. Um, they've had one or two years where they've done quite well. One presumes it should go better for them in future, but it certainly doesn't come anywhere near passing our filters. So we in Team Invest wouldn't be very enthusiastic about it. Just coming back very quickly to the Ukraine-Russia thing, which I think is very important to all of us, um, you know, the question of famine in Africa may in fact be the reverse, because African farmers have never been able to produce much in the way of wheat and corn economically enough to compete with the wheat and corn that is no. coming out of Russia no. and Ukraine. And that's kept Africa in poverty. So if prices go up sufficiently that they can start generating, I mean, they've got the land and they've got uh, the weather in, in certain parts of Africa for growing vast amounts, um, it could, in fact, do Africa an enormous uh, lot of good, but we won't know that for another few years. But coming back to Cog State, no, it's a no from me, but I hope they succeed. Yeah. Um, look, this is a, it's an interesting company. Um, there's a lot of research, etc., going into Alzheimer's drugs, um, uh, particularly in the last, you know, 10 years or last decade. Um, the unique thing about this is, is it's pretty much the software that, they they test you know the the cognitive um, the cognitive state with I suppose um, so it doesn't matter which drug necessarily ends up being successful it's sort of a monitoring system whereby that nearly all of them are going to have to use yeah. uh, because it, it does have a thirty year sort of track record in terms of the um, the method it applies not necessarily a thirty track record thirty year track record for the business per se but. Um, but yeah, look, it's a lot of its business. I think seventy percent contract is forward contracted um, over the next few years. It's got a fairly strong balance sheet as well. Um, if you look at forward PEs, it is a little bit cheaper. Uh, obviously, if the forecasts are correct, yep. that is. Um, they they recently became fairly profitable. Uh, well, you know, in the last um, in the last sort of two years as well. So things are improving there. Mm. Uh, analysts seem to like it. There's a few analysts, um, probably a 20% um, price target sort of upside. Um, look, it's probably not necessarily a sector I want to be playing in, but um, it's certainly an interesting company. I'd, I'd maybe wait for another, you know, another earnings report or right. uh, another contract or something like that to get some, um, to get to get a little bit more surety, particularly with the market conditions. Um, at the moment, I think you possibly what what I tend to do. I mean, I like the healthcare sector at the moment, but I, I will always start with the large caps. Um, yeah. And as things as momentum picks up, I'll move down the, the market cap scale uh, right. because they tend to lag. So this would be something mm. I'd be looking at. Say, if the broader sector um, goes on a five to ten percent run, well, yeah. I dare say this will lag a little bit, and 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 maybe you can pick it up. Um, 
pick it up with some prevailing trail winds, uh, tailwinds from the, from, the, from the bigger ones. So, okay. Yeah. Right, not at this stage. Not at this stage, no. Okay. Uh, Sundar wants a view on Boral Mark, and Sundar says... Uh, uh, what's your view after the capital return of two dollars sixty-five in mid-February? The price has fallen to um, fairly attractive levels, according to uh, Sundar, uh, of around the three fifty mark. Uh, what do you think of Bora? Uh, look, they didn't have the greatest result recently. Um, they don't have a lot of pricing power either. Um, look, whilst it's great to get handed back here, uh, you know, um, handed back some money, uh, that does in my mind doesn't reflect greatly on management that they couldn't find another project to yeah. go and invest that money and try to do some so it tells me that they're all out of ideas to be honest so because this was the money they got from selling the us yeah which on. yeah so look i i would have i would like a management team to come back with you know with some solid ideas i yeah. think um particularly the way that the us investors look at markets this would that sort of thing would be taken horribly. Right. Um, whereas it's a little bit more acceptable in Australia. We're a little bit more conservative um, yep. as a demographic. But um, look, it's hyper competitive. The return on equities only been around about 5% or thereabouts yeah. for 10 years straight. Um, inflation in that in that sector is, is going to be enormous. Um, yep. Which, which will either result in cooling down of the of building um, completely, or you know, a lack of margins, etc. So, um, I yeah, I think there's better there's better places to be putting okay. your money, your money than uh, than Boral at the moment. Um, yeah, I don't um, I don't I don't see a reason to hold it. I'd probably okay. be uh, I wouldn't be a sell, but I'd be I'd be pretty close to I'd be watching it very closely anyway. Okay, um, Howard. Yeah, you know, uh, I think taking it back to first principles, you really want to own about 20 roughly businesses in your portfolio. One is that you understand well and that are highly likely to prove wealth winners over the long term. And in order to do that, they need a high return on equity achieved with relatively low debt and growing earnings. Now, Boral, as Mark pointed out, has had 10 years worth of return on equity that's pretty miserable. Now, that doesn't reflect well on management you know, it chugs along at a return on equity that in a good year gets up to about 8% and in a poor year gets down to about 3 Now, um, that's not the sign of a company that you're going to do well by owning the shares over any lengthy period of time. And while you can make a case for most companies on the stock exchange to own them, why bother? You only want the 20 best. It's a bit like picking your AFL team. You can probably make a case in the draft for every single solitary player in the draft. I mean, at the age level, they're superb. But you only get four picks or three picks or two picks, depending on where you're at with uh, your draft selections. Um, you want to pick the very, very best you can get. And the same thing with a portfolio. You want to pick the very, very best companies that you can own in your portfolio. Mm -hmm. And by no stretch of the imagination would Boral be one of those. So. Uh, okay. From a team invest perspective, uh, definitely a no, mainly okay. because its return on equity is so poor. All right. Uh, Penny Howard wants a view on Centuria Industrial REIT, as the name implies. It's a listed property trust. Focus a, a, a pure play on industrial property, um, sort of uh, uh, in that area of uh, packaging, big distribution network, sort of the... Amazon type warehouses, isn't it? 
Yes, and, and being an industrial, that's probably a better REIT to be in at this point in time and uh, with, with what's going on in the world economy than others. But having said that, again, its return on equity has been pretty miserable, as most REITs are, over the last 10 years. They don't tend to lose you money, but they very rarely are going to turn into being wealth winners. So return on equity is well below 10%. And with interest rates rising, um, the share prices of um, REITs in general are going to be over time hurt because effectively the value of their properties is inversely correlated with interest rates. When interest rates go down, the values of the properties go up because the rent's worth more uh, than the interest they're paying um, and the reverse happens when interest rates rise. So all REITs are probably worth steering clear of at the moment, but if you desperately wanted to own a REIT in your portfolio, at least this would be one of the better ones being an industrial, but I don't think any Team Invest members would be enthused about any REITs at the moment, so um, uh, no from me. Howard, how can you make a case, because it's managed by Centuria Capital Group, um, is it a better rule of thumb not to invest in the fund but to invest in the manager? Yes, so generally uh, you do, you're going to do better in the long term, right. one would expect, by investing in the manager than the individual fund. But if the manager has lots of other funds that don't do that well, that may not be true, but right. generally as a, as a general rule, yes. Hmm. Mark? Yeah, look, um, industrial real estate, you know, there was uh, recent statistics around... Um, around them are that rents will basically uh, grow by 50% over the next five years. Um, this is one of our favourites at Macro overall. Uh, for my more active clients, I, I might switch back and forth between Goodman's and CIP, yeah. um, depending on the client, um, depending on how active they want to be. So, But look, this, this thing just really reliably grinds higher. Their, um, their whale or their weighted average lease length nice. is... Yeah. Um, is about is over 10 years um they've got really solid customers everything's in de indexed to inflation i think which is a a really good inflation hedge overall uh obviously with the tailwinds as well with the um you know with the, the expectations of um of the rents going of rents going up regardless um you know i think this is this will be one of the the pandemic stayers um Right. They, they obviously people switch to industrial because obviously a lot of businesses turn yep. online, etc. Those, um, you know, a lot of those industrial spaces now have been very, very quickly taken up. Goodman's is doing something where they're putting a second level on some warehouses. Um, that's been that, there's been mixed results on that from what yeah. I hear from a oh, friend of mine's uh, friend of mine's father who worked for CI or was an engineer consultant for uh, CIP for many years and. Apparently that doesn't work in a lot of cases, so it's oh. not quite as drastic as what people were thinking that right. it was just going to half the industrial space overall. Um, look, it pays dividends quarterly as well. It's got a good dividend yield, which is not going to be affected or eaten by inflation. So, look, I, I'm, I'm, it's one of the first, um, you know, it's one of the first sort of cornerstones, particularly for self-managed supers or. Um, you know, people right. people who want to who want some okay. dividend income. So you'd be a buyer at these levels. Yeah, I'm you happily. Like I'm, okay. Look, probably at these levels, I prefer Goodman's because I think um, CIP's out. Goodman's is about eight percent cheaper year to date, um, and I think there's probably a little bit more ups, like upside right. in the sector. And Goodman's tends to run harder. Um, 
So, but look, it's... Hold it if you've got it. Oh, definitely hold it if okay. you've got it. If uh, mm. you can pick either one of those two, they tend to even Good, themselves Goodman's out. a bit more private equity-ish, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're different, di- different exposures, managers. but, but they, um, they do tend to run, their, well, their beat is a lot higher. So right. is more, you're chipping away. If you look at the chart, excluding the pandemic, basically just... It just grinds higher, so it's, right, okay. it's something that you don't really have to worry about too a hell of a lot. And and every quarter, you know, a dividend pops in your in, mm. in your portfolio, so which you can you reinvest or whatever. But, but I think with the five years coming up, the um, and I don't think CIP's got a lot of debt. Right. Uh, I, ne- okay. I don't think Goodman's necessarily has either. So, and with locked in clients, I would have thought that their uh, the interest they're paying is not you know not significant. It's not a speculative loan. So right. okay. Um, all right, uh, need to keep moving. Um, Winston wants a view, Mark, on Swoop. Uh, the Basically, uh, um, a telco, is that? That's uh, yeah. infrastructure carrier, a bit of MBN work and yeah. like. Well, it's a bit of a, ro- I think it's a bit of a roll up. I think, he, um, obviously, you've got great examples in this space, like Australian Broadband and UWL. Yep. Um, you know, it was brought in via a backdoor listing. Um, the management seems to be pretty solid. I think we, they've got an uh, analyst forecast of pretty high on this, but I think that's more because people who obviously made money out of UWL and Aussie Broadband, et cetera, probably maybe expecting a little bit too right. much. Um, there's a potential that they could be a, a takeover target, but this sector overall, the things like Starlink that Elon Musk is bringing in with the the satellite for you know for broadband globally and things I think is a it's not going to affect us for the next five years but once they increase capacity for mm. that as well whether you know whether there's the effect that had mobile phones had on on landlines whether that starts to happen yep. to NBN infrastructure so um, look at, at this stage it's probably just a hold for me at the moment um, given the appetite for for uh, companies okay. in that space all right um, Howard Swoove. Matt, uh, two reasons. Firstly, too short a history to really know anything about the company. Um, And secondly, uh, it's in an area where there's an enormous amount of competition and you have to deliver your client more and more bandwidth and more and more data every year uh, for for less money than the year before. So your prices go down, (coughs) what you've got to deliver them goes up. And that's not a great business to be in. That's the reverse Mm. of pricing power. You want to be in businesses where they can put their prices up um, or alternatively deliver less for the same price. Yeah, it's the exact reverse. You've got to deliver more and more and more data to every customer every year for less money, or else the customer moves to somebody else where they can get yeah. more data for less money. And that's the trouble with this entire industry. So you've got to pedal faster and faster if you're the management to try and make the same money. So um, this one, too short a history, um, very competitive industry, terrible industry to be in. So a definite Not no from you. us. Okay, no. final, final stock, Howard, is the Reject Shop, the uh, discount variety retailer that sells everything from uh, house and garden stuff to groceries, health and beauty, pets, toys. Um, bit of an iconic brand. How, how does it work out as a business? Yeah, um, you know, businesses that aim to be the cheapest in their field can, if they are really able to keep their costs exceptionally low compared to their competitors, can do really well. JB Hi-Fi is a perfect example of that. 
the costs are kept lower than all of their competitors and as a result it's been an outstanding business but the reject shop hasn't really managed to do that in theory it has costs lower than all its competitors and should be able to be a very good business but the kind of things that sells are so eclectic there's such a wide mix mm -hmm. that it's very hard for it to differentiate uh, it, itself uh, from the rest of the market because you can always find somebody somewhere selling something similar yeah. to the reject shop at a similar price so it's been a serial disappointment. I mean, the share price some years back was as high, if I remember correctly, as about $17. Yeah, in 2013 and 2014, uh, when everybody was feeling very positive about it. But it really hasn't performed that well as a business over the years. So um, uh, definitely not not for us, thanks. Uh, look, I'm... You know, this has obviously had a lot of headwinds over the last sort of 12 to 20, well, last three years almost. Yeah. Um, you you didn't, can't go, really go online for the reject shop, can you? No, no. As, as Howard's point, it's, it's too eclectic. A, um, yeah. You know, even, even trying to buy keywords online for their products. I mean, so look, shipping costs are going to hurt them as well, I would imagine, um, being that cheaper price point. Um, I think inflation will probably push a lot more money to needs rather than wants as yeah. well. Um, and look, in the retail sector overall, probably be, you know, driving back down the east coast of uh, New South Wales this weekend, saw a lot of couches, tin, TVs and furniture sitting on the curbside ruined from the floods. Um, I'd be, you know, Nick Scarley's one of our favourites or maybe even Adairs or something like that or Harvey Norman yeah. or JB Hi-Fi. First three things you're going to buy for your house when you get your insurance checks yep. here is a is a couch, a TV, and a bed. So, it which no, you know the reject shops doesn't do any of that. I think, um, and they're at quite discounted prices at the moment. With a lot of them have found a lead, and with a nice dividend yield. So there's there's much better places to be putting your money in terms of the in terms of the sector. Um, they may turn things around. Um, you probably want to wait for another earnings report. Um, just to see if uh, if they have turned things around. Okay. But but in the space at the moment you can get some really high quality companies at, at really cheap prices. So I probably, yeah, Not certainly big. wouldn't bother, be, be bothering okay. with this one. All right, uh, how, that's it, uh, our 10 stocks. Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Good to have you aboard as usual. Howard, enjoy the rest of the week. Been a pleasure. Bye. Bye from uh, Macro, good Thank to you. see you, mate. Yeah, see you soon, and thanks for coming into the studio. Uh, let's recap our final five stocks. Cog State, a no from both Howard and Mark. Boral the same. Centuria Industrial, a no from Howard. If you're in it, um, hold it. Mark likes the, the REIT, although at this point in time would probably prefer Goodman to uh, Centuria Industrial. But if you're in it, no reason to get out of it. Uh, Swooper Hold from Mark, a no from Howard, and a no from both for Reject Shop. If you've got any stocks you'd like me to put to our expert panel, email them in at call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. Uh, check out all the stocks in the calls portfolio. You just head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.